Good to see each and every one of you on our online campus as well. Uh, so thankful to be in the house of the Lord and to have the privilege of ministering his word to you today. I've got one verse of scripture for you. It's Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. How many have read the book of Habakkuk this week? Uh, that's a book of the Bible we like to read often, right? Just wake up in the morning and say, I'm thinking I need to read Habakkuk. <laughs> Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. This is what it says. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. Grant clarity, grant understanding, and grant the release of the truth. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen and amen. I want to talk to you, and I want to ask you a simple question. Where are you going? Just look at you and say, where are you going? What are you doing? I mean, I know you wake up on Sunday mornings and you say, I'm going to church, but where are you really going? Where are you really going? I know you got up and you put on your clothes and you came to church today, whether you sat in front of your television or your computer, or you came and you drove all the way here. But where are you really going? You see, in order to go anywhere in life, in any area of life, you need four things, really. Number one, you need a vision. And a vision is a fancy word for a destination. If you get in the car, the first thing you do is you put the destination in your GPS, and that's your vision. Your vision is to arrive at that destination. Second thing you need are some habits that make getting to that destination possible. The third thing you need are some relationships that will empower you along the way. And then the fourth thing you need is resilience. So you need a vision, you need some habits, you need some relationships, and you need resilience. If you're missing any one of those things, you probably aren't going anywhere. A vision. If you want to be a bodybuilder, you need a vision of what kind of bodybuilder you want to be and what you want your body to look like at the end of that process. You need a vision. But then you need some habits. A person who has a vision but has no habits, you're just fantasizing. You just got a hallucination. That ain't a vision. That's a fantasy. See somebody eating McDonald's, sitting on the couch watching TV. What's your dream? To be a bodybuilder. I ain't got no more time for you (laughs) because you ain't doing nothing but lying. I didn't ask what your fantasy is. I asked what your dream is. I didn't ask what your hallucination is. I asked what your vision is. And the difference between a vision and a fantasy is you are willing to put some habits behind your vision. So first, set your vision. Secondly, determine the habits that make that vision a possibility. This is the hard thing. Habits do not guarantee your vision. Having the right habits does not guarantee that you'll reach your destination. But not having the right habits guarantees that you will not reach your destination. (laughs) Having the right habits doesn't guarantee that you're going to get there. But not having the right habits guarantees that you will not get there. And not having the right habits means that we've given up on our vision before we've even even started. You need relationships. You need partnerships. You need people to help you along the way. 
If you're a bodybuilder, you need a coach. You also need some workout partners. If you're trying to make it through school, you need teachers. You also need some study partners, some fellow students to study with, right? If you want to become an an executive leader in your company, well, you need to relate to your bosses and your coworkers rightly. You can't just go in an office by yourself and do it by yourself. You need relationships. There's almost no realm in life that was designed for you to get to the top or to get to where you're trying to get without relationships, without partnership, without working together with some other people who are on the same path as you and helping one another and finding help in order to get to the place that you've envisioned. And then you need resilience. Resilience is the capacity to continue to move from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Right? Who'd I borrow that from, Dad? Your man, Winston Churchill. He defines success as the ability to move from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. That's resilience. Resilience is the ability to take a licking and keep on ticking. Resilience is the ability to get up off the floor and keep moving forward. You messed up, get up and keep moving forward. You prayed and God didn't answer, get up and keep moving forward. You tried and it didn't work out, get up and keep moving forward. Without resilience, you never get to your dream, your destiny, your, your destination, regardless of how pristine that vision is. The problem with Christians, the problem with the Christian life, is that it's a realm in which we tend to be more motivated by obligation than by vision. I go to church because I'm supposed to go to church. That's what Christians do. And if I don't go to church, shame on you. You're not a good Christian because a good Christian goes to church. You go to church because there's an obligation. Or I go to church because I enjoy it, because I get something out of it. It's either opportunism or obligation. It's either an opportunity to get something I enjoy or an obligation to do something that I must. But where are you really going? What's the vision? It's kind of like going to school and not knowing that you're trying to finish the seventh grade. You just know you're supposed to go to class. If there was no degree program that you're trying to finish, but somebody just told you, you you must go to school every day. Where would you go? Well, you would go find the classes that you enjoyed the most. If I have to go to school, I might as well go to classes that are enjoyable. But why are you going to school? What you working on? What you trying to do? Where are you going? I'm just going to school. Just taking classes. Aren't you been taking classes for 10 years? What degrees have you got? I ain't got no degrees. I just took some random classes because I enjoyed these classes. Well, you're the most pitiful person I ever met. You're just wasting your life going to classes for no reason. All you need to do is make a decision. I'm not just going to school. I'm working on this degree. That is, I have a vision of what the finish line looks like. And every class I take is a part of that curriculum to get me to that finish line. In the spiritual life, the Christian life, in the life of faith, like any other component of life, we need to start with the vision. I want to be a Christian, but what is a Christian? And what does the Christian life look like? What is my vision for the kind of Christian that I wish to become? And then secondly, 
Have I established, cultivated the habits necessary to get me there? And thirdly, do I have the right relationships with individuals that I can partner with to go there together? And then number four, do I have the resilience to make it through the many dangerous toils and snares that I must overcome in order to make it all the way? That's the question. Now, the prophet Habakkuk says something here in Habakkuk chapter 3. Lord, I have heard of your fame. Meaning, I've heard all about you. I've heard all about what you did and what you said. And the prophet is speaking in his generation, the generation of the prophets. And he's talking about what God did in the time of the kings and what God did in the time of the fathers. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. What deeds? The deeds I've heard of. The stories I heard about what you did back then. I heard of what you did for Abraham when you called him out of Ur of Chaldees and brought him into the land that he would later receive as his inheritance. I heard what you did for Sarah when she could not conceive, but you gave her strength to conceive when her womb was barren. I heard what you did for Joseph when his brother sold him into slavery and, and when Potiphar's wife lied on him and when he was locked up in the prison for those years. I heard what you did, how you brought him into Pharaoh's house and made him the prince of Egypt. I heard what you did for Moses when Pharaoh decreed that all the firstborn sons of Israel should die. I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. I heard about how you parted the Red Sea so that your people could cross over on dry ground. I heard of your fame. I heard about how you met them on the mountain and spoke to them in fire and in smoke and in a voice of words. I've heard of your deeds. I heard how you brought water out of the rock when they were dying of thirst in the wilderness. I heard how you rained bread down from heaven when they had nothing to eat. I've heard of your deeds. But he says, it's not enough for me to hear of your deeds. Renew them. Repeat them. Redo them. Do it again. When the prophet says, repeat them. Renew them, another translation says. Do them again. What he's saying is, this is my vision. This is my vision. This is what it looks like. This is what the life of faith is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to look like to walk with you. Bread coming down from heaven. This is what it's supposed to look like to walk with you. No weapon forged against me shall prosper. This is what it looks like. The prophet says, I read the Bible not because it's an ancient religious book that teaches me how to live. I read it to get a vision of what my relationship with you is supposed to look like. We treat the Bible like a religious history book. Wow, that was cool. It was cool that God spoke to Abraham. It was cool that God spoke to Moses. It was cool that God spoke to Joshua. But you don't read that and go, Lord, speak to me like you spoke to Abraham. Speak to me like you spoke to Moses. Speak to me like you spoke to Joshua. That's what the Bible was written to provoke your jealousy. Do you know there's a godly jealousy? I want that. You read the Bible. I want that. I want that. 
Lord, that's what I want. I want that. That's what the prophet Habakkuk is saying. God, I want that. I want that. That stuff that you did for them, I want to see you do it for us. Repeat them. Renew them in our day and in our time. Right here, right now. I got a vision. I got a vision. I got a vision of what the spiritual life is supposed to look like. Now, we tend to have this whole concept of, we don't call it this, but diminishing returns. In the realm of technical analysis, you look at a chart and you see what's called diminishing returns. For instance, Bitcoin moves in a four-year cycle. If you go from the bottom of its cycle from 2013 to 2017, from the bottom to the top, Bitcoin made 12,000%. But from the bottom of its cycle in 2017 to the top in 2021, Bitcoin only made 1,200%. So the first cycle, it made 12,000%. The second cycle, it made 1,200%. Maybe this third cycle, it only makes 300%. We'll see between now and 2025. We're in its third four-year cycle but there's diminishing returns. And that's kind of the way we think about our relationship with the Bible. There's diminishing returns. He did all these miracles back then, but we're going to see less miracles now than they saw back then. Diminishing returns. The way he spoke to them then, yeah, he'll speak to us now, but in a much lower, lesser way, diminishing. We're not going to see the 12,000% outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're not even going to see the 1,200% outpouring of the Holy Spirit, but maybe we'll see 120% outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We always expect him to do less now than he did then, but we got it backwards. We got it backwards. T.S. Eliot, the poet said, this is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. This is the way the world ends. Not with a bang, but a whimper. He's speaking of the laws of thermodynamics. It begins with a bang. It ends with a whimper. But in the kingdom of God, it's the opposite. What was at the beginning was only the whimper. What's at the end is the bang. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. That's the bang. Meaning in God's, in God's economy, we are not expecting diminishing returns. We are expecting increasing returns. It means that when we read about what he did, that was only the 120%. When we read about what he did, that was only the 1,200%. But we're getting ready to see the 12,000% outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Somewhere around verse 10. He just finished defining our salvation for us. And he talks about this salvation that's reserved in heaven for you who through faith are being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. And then in verse 10, he says, considering this salvation, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched diligently and with the greatest care, trying to discern the times and seasons to which the Spirit was indicating when he spoke of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that they were not ministering to themselves, but us, when they spoke of the things that had been preached to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then he ends by saying, even angels desire to look into these things. 
Do you hear what he's saying? Let me just break that down to you because that sounds like a very complicated passage. It's actually a very simple message. The prophets were hearing the Holy Spirit speak to them and through them about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And they were so interested. They were searching with the greatest care and greatest diligence to try to figure out what the Holy Spirit was talking about. But the only thing they could figure out was that what the Holy Spirit was talking about was not for them, it was for us. Remember, they're prophets, which means they're not talking about their own time. They're talking about what's coming, a.k.a. us. They were foretelling a move of the Spirit that transcended what the Holy Spirit was doing in their day. They were saying the time is coming. When is the time coming? Later, when y'all come. You don't realize that everything that was written in Scripture is about us. It's about what God was getting ready to do, was preparing to do, was setting up to do in our day and in our time. We don't know how to wait. We don't even understand the concept of waiting. Because the longer we wait, the more discouraged we get. And the definition of discouragement, discouragement is coming to the conclusion that the extended wait means that the thing that I was waiting for is actually not valid. The longer we wait, the more convinced we become that maybe I've been waiting in vain all this time, which is the wrong interpretation. The right interpretation means the longer I wait, the closer I get. (laughs) I've been waiting 20 years. Well, praise God, I'm 20 years closer now than I was 20 years ago. Meaning if you really know how to wait on the Lord, the excitement increases every single day. Every now I'm a day closer. I'm a day closer. I'm a day closer. I'm a day. And what happens is this cynicism starts to sink in, doesn't it? Well, they've been talking about the coming of the Lord for 2000 years and he ain't come yet. Yeah, we're 2000 years closer now than we were 2000 years ago. You better wake up every morning and get yourself ready. Because the one thing is clear is he is coming. But what did he say would happen before his coming? He said, behold, I send Elijah and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers, lest I smite the land with the curse. He said, all this is going to happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord, meaning that God is preparing an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Elijah is coming before he wraps this thing up. There's going to be a bull run of the Holy Spirit that will dwarf everything that God did prior to this coming move of the Holy Spirit. We got to get ready. We need a vision. See, you've been reading the Bible wrong. You've been exegeting scripture. You've been doing your hermeneutics. You've been looking at the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and breaking it down. And the only question in your mind is, what does it mean? But a better question is, yes, what does it mean? But what does this mean for what's coming? That's a better question. What does this mean for what's coming? How should this affect my expectation? How should this affect my anticipation? How should this affect my faith? How should this affect my vision for my spiritual life? And so I got a vision today. I got a vision. And at the end of the day, the vision that each of us should have 
is to look like Jesus. To be like Jesus. We're supposed to be as he was in the world. That's why we're called Christianos, Christians, Christ-likes. Not just those who believe in him as if we're supporters in his political campaign. No, we represent him in the earth. People are supposed to look at us and be reminded of him. So people, people should look at us and say, oh, I know what he's like because this guy, this young lady is like him. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't just need a vision, you need some habits. Yeah. And your habits or lack thereof wow. betray whether or not you actually believe in your vision or not. Wow. You see, when you read the Bible, when you come to church, that's designed to give you a vision. But if you go lock yourself in your prayer closet and spend some time in prayer, that's a habit. Where are your habits at? Do you spend time with God every day? I could read books about bodybuilding or I could go to the gym. <laughs> it's better to do both. If I don't read the books, I don't know what to do when I get to the gym. But if I don't go to the gym and I just read the book, I'm a fan. And Jesus don't need no fans. He's looking for followers, not fans. Disciples. You need some habits, but you also need some relationships. That's why we don't just have Sunday morning service. We got community groups. You know what I hate? Not hate, but I kind of despise it. Is that the same thing as hate? The concept of church structure. Because church structure is creating a program designed to convince Christians to do what Christians are supposed to do naturally. Read Acts chapter 2. There was no structure. But yet, every Christian instinctively devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, which means they came to the large group meetings to hear the apostles teach yeah. every single time the apostles were teaching. Yeah. The fellowship, meaning they met from house to house in small groups, connecting with one another, sharing the word of God with one another, encouraging one another, offering one another accountability and support. Yeah. The breaking of bread, which had to do with service. Yeah. You remember when Jesus fed the 5,000, he broke the bread, gave, put it in baskets, gave it to his disciples and said, go feed the people. That's devoting yourself to the breaking of bread. Yeah. It's not just taking communion, it's serving the wow. people of God. Yeah. They all committed themselves to serving one another. Yeah. And then they devoted themselves to prayer, which is actually seeking the face of God. And there was no structure around any of those things. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> there was no go to this page on the website and sign up to join this. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if we were just able to like shut down the website, <laughs> shut down the emails, if you got a vision so deep yeah. for what your spiritual life was supposed to look like, yeah. Yeah. that you just said, you know what, I'm going to cultivate the habits, build the relationships, and exercise the resilience I need to do this. Because yeah. this, to be this, to see this, to experience this, to have this, this is my number one Concern, my number one priority in life, and it's more valuable yes. than anything. Yeah. 
I say that because so many of our systems have broken down. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is I'm sorry. Like, if you were trying to join a community group, you know, the system's broke. So let me just say this. If, if you're a community group leader, just like, look for some folks who need community groups and invite them to yours, please. <laughs> And you can start new ones. Yeah. Like, you don't need permission. Yeah. Just look around your row. Say, hey, you need a community group? Hey, I'm starting one at my house tonight. Yeah. Come on over. One o'clock. Even if you already got one, you say, this is my minute. I'm going to start another one. Even if you just got saved. Even if you're not even saved yet. <laughs> you want to get together and talk about Jesus? You'll, you'll be saved soon. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, right? But I think more than anything else, we need resilience. Because yeah. at different times in my life, I've done all three. But to keep doing all three together indefinitely, yeah. without interruption. Yeah. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58. He says, yeah. therefore, be steadfast, unmovable, yeah. always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Being steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding, that's resilience. Yeah. No matter what comes or goes, I don't stop. Yeah. I take a lick and I keep on ticking. I don't stop. Like the Energizer Bunny, right? Yeah. He talks about it also, what is it, Galatians 6, 9, Therefore do not become weary in well-doing, for you know that in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not lose heart. You see, if you, if you become weary in well-doing, it means you lost your heart. Yeah. And I'm not even saying like you're supposed to be working hard and serving hard. And if you're not working hard, something's wrong. No, no, no. You're not supposed to, It's not about that. Yeah. God don't need no slaves. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking for sons and daughters. Yeah. Resilience. Yeah. It's patience. I was on my way to pray for our sister last night yeah. who's battling cancer. And as I was driving to visit her family, I was talking to the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know what I realize? My faith. Hi, hi, Luciana. She's going, that's PB. That's PB. Hi, Luciana. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the car and I was saying, Lord, you got to renew my faith and my hope yeah. because it's so low right now. It's so low right now. It's so low that I cannot say that I have the expectation that I'm going to lay hands on her tonight and she's going to be healed. You got to renew my expectation. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I don't need it. I don't need your expectation. I don't need your hope. I just need your surrender and your obedience. And I was like, yeah, that's right. He said, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he sinned, he'll be forgiven. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
I don't have to know what's going to happen. I just have to know the word of God commands me to go anoint this person with oil in the name of the Lord, pray the prayer of faith, and just trust and just surrender to the scripture. Surrender to the promise. That is, when my hope begins to wane because I haven't seen in too long the results that I'm longing for, so my hope begins to wane. Okay, God, I simply give you my surrender and my obedience. That's all he needs. And that's resilience. Can I tell you something? You ain't got to believe in yourself. (laughs) So, well, I stopped because I lost confidence. Don't nobody need your confidence? It's overrated. And honestly, that's in any and every field. What if a bodybuilder only worked out when he felt good about himself? What if you only went to work when you felt good about yourself? What if you only took showers when you felt good about yourself? There's so many things in life where we know I ain't got to feel good about myself. I just got to be consistent. I've just got to be resilient. I've I've got to do this regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I think. My confidence is not necessary. If you're a writer, you don't have to feel good about what you're writing. You just got to keep writing. If you're a musician, you just got to keep playing and practicing. If you're a preacher, you just got to keep preaching. If you're a sweet street sweeper, just keep sweeping the street. Whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. Be resilient. Be patient. Don't become weary in well-doing. Our resilience is required because none of us get to determine the definition of due time. Go back and read Galatians 6, 9. Do not become weary in well-doing for in due time. Period. (laughs) (laughs) Who determines due time? I remember I was talking to Mike Perkinson one day, a long time ago. And I was complaining about my wife. Long time ago. At least two weeks. No, I'm just kidding. And I said, no matter what I do, I just feel like I've, I, I try to do everything I know how to do. And, she, and I just try to love her. And she doesn't respond. And if I try to love her, she rejects my love. And, I, I just, and I, I, I've done it. And it's not enough. And he goes, wait, 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 wait. Who gets to determine enough? I said, what? Who gets to determine enough, Benjamin? You're determining when it should be enough for her? No, that's not your determination. She determines when it's enough. He said, Benjamin, you started on this path toward the cross, but you stopped before you got into the cross. Go all the way. What if Jesus just picked up the cross, carried it, and was like, how long? You still don't accept me? You still don't receive my love? No, he went all the way. Benjamin, go all the way. If you're going to love her, love her all the way. And let her determine when it's enough. On her terms, love her on her terms, not your terms. I was like, dang it, I don't like you. (laughs) I should have called Pastor Daniels. 
He would have just said, oh, man of God, all is well. (laughs) Oh, glory to the Lord. We used to sing this song at church when I was growing up. I'll take thy cross, Lord. Thy cross I'll take, Lord, though it is heavy for me to bear. I'll take thy cross, Lord. Thy cross I'll take, Lord. How's it in, Mom? Dad? I forgot. But it basically says, I'll take your cross. I'll carry it to the very end. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. You know what he meant? I don't have any time limits anymore on what God's supposed to do and in what time. I'm not going to become weary in well-doing. I'm going to be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that my labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know why? Because I've got a vision. I can see. When I read about Jesus, it gives me a vision of what my life is supposed to look like. When I read about the early church, it gives me a vision of what my life is supposed to look like. When you read the book of Acts, that's the beginning. We're coming to the end. And the end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. The scripture says the end of the matter is better than its beginning, which means that in our hearts and minds, we must embrace the truth, the reality that what we will see at the end is greater than what we saw at the beginning, which means we don't read the book of Acts and say, wouldn't it be nice? We read the book of Acts and say, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. We read the book of Acts and say, it started with 120 in the upper room it's going to end with billions in the outer room the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the seas but what God is looking for is more than just a bunch of religious pipsqueaks who walk in defeat and call it humility where there's no vision the people perish He's looking for his sons and daughters to get a vision of what it looks like to walk in the power of God, to be established in the love of God, to walk in the truth of God, to rise up in the glory of the spirit of God. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. What God is looking for is for his sons and daughters to get a vision, to get a vision for the possibilities of the life of faith. And when that vision begins to grip your heart, you read the Bible differently. Yeah. Yeah. Lord, I have heard of your fame. Mm. You're famous, God. Mm. I've heard all about you. Mm. I stand in awe of your deeds, mm. Lord. But Lord, I'm not hearing of your fame and reading of your deeds to stand in awe of what you did in times past. I'm not going to allow the devil in that moment to disqualify me in my own heart because that's what we do. Well, he did it for them because they were so holy and I'm not as holy as they are. Well, he did it for them because they prayed more than I pray and I don't pray that much. And the devil simply disqualifies you in your own mind and in your own heart and says, this is why God will never do any of that stuff for you. Mm -mm, The prophet said, "Mm -mm, none of that nonsense. Repeat them. Renew them. Renew them in our day and in our time. In wrath, remember mercy. 
bow your heads and let's pray.